So very, 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 very simply, please leave today knowing that you are forgiven in Jesus. Amen. Thank you, David. Uh, you'll notice that uh, we read a, quite a short passage this morning, but we're going to look at a few verses before that as well. But uh, 15 to 18 is, is really where we want to focus. So that was the, uh, that's why we read such a short passage. So uh, I don't know about you, but this is certainly true for me. Uh, not knowing stuff is terrible. Uh, isn't it? We like as as people. I think we like to know stuff. Would you agree? We like to know stuff. Uh, some of you, Bradley said the marathon is fifteenth or sixteenth, and some of you are not really liking that. You're thinking, I just want to know: is it fifteenth or sixteenth? I need to plan now, even though I'm not going to run. I want to know. Um, for the 31 of you that are going to join him, then I'm sure you can wait. But uh, yeah, most people nowadays, we carry a device in our pockets that give us, gives us access to uh, every bit of information ever conceived. And uh, some of you are probably following the sermon on that device, on the YouVersion Bible app. So you already know where I'm going with this. You already know what the next slide's going to look like. You already know where we're going to finish this because you like to know stuff and you've not had the self-control to not swipe to the bottom uh, before I've said it. But as people, we like to know stuff, don't we? And uh, not knowing stuff is, we find, really, really bad. Uh, but what if, you know, think about what if the stuff that we don't know has got eternal implications? Like it's really important stuff. Or what if we never had the opportunity to find out? And one uh, is common, but it's, it's really heartbreaking. One common but heartbreaking situation you hear about is when somebody's died and there are things that are left unresolved. You know, someone didn't forgive or like Henny was talking about, you didn't offer forgiveness uh, when it was in your power to do so. Now it's too late, and you're never going to be able to do that. And uh, We read last week, didn't we, about the, the one life that we live and the one death that we all experience, and there's such a singularity to our humanity. And if the opportunity, forgive, if the opportunity to, to give or receive forgiveness passes us by, it can be heartbreaking, uh, it can be mind-breaking, and it can be health-breaking as well if we don't offer forgiveness or we don't receive forgiveness when we have the opportunity uh, to do so. If we don't uh, offer forgiveness when we've got the opportunity to do so and then circumstances change and we can't, you know, that can really eat people up. Uh, and if that's you, then I'd love to talk to you afterwards. But the other side of that coin is that we, sometimes we don't know if we are forgiven and that's a very, very tense place uh, to be. We've, we've all done wrong. We've all sinned against heaven and against other people. And uh, if we don't know that we're forgiven, it's very, 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 very tense. It's a tense place for us to be. And sometimes it's just all-consuming. We need to know this stuff. We must know this stuff. And I read something uh, this week that a, a, a famous behavioral expert had said, and he said that if you could convince everyone in a psychiatric hospital that they are forgiven of all they have ever done wrong, he said 75% of them 
would be able to leave the next day. Because not knowing, pretty much the next day, uh, not knowing that we are forgiven and carrying these burdens is such a massive deal that it's heartbreaking and it's mind-breaking and it can be health-breaking as well. So today then, we're going to talk about am I forgiven? How am I forgiven? And where, and, and where, where do we stand in, in terms of forgiveness in our life? So... If you are a person who likes to know stuff, you might be following on the Bible app, so you're already there. If you haven't opened up your Bibles, do so to Hebrews chapter 10. And uh, we're going to start at the beginning. As we said, we read a very short uh, passage, because that's really where we want to land today. But um, we're big believers in the, the whole counsel of God's Word, so we are going to cover the first few verses as well. Today, then, uh, this, this passage in Hebrews 10 brings to a close the teaching part of Hebrews. So we've had uh, what we would refer to as 10 chapters, probably three quarters of the book, the letter, where we need to know some stuff. We need to understand some stuff. We need to learn some stuff. And then from next week, we get into the exhortation, some stuff to do, and the order and the weight and the, the how much of this and that's really important for us. And we'll talk about that why later. But there's 10 chapters of stuff that you need to know, stuff you need to understand. And this is the last time. And then from next week, we're getting into the, okay, because of all this stuff that you now know, what are we going to do with it? So the first thing that we see is in verses 1 to 7. And we see in this, uh, in this passage, in this section, verses 1 to 7, that we no way, we are never, we are not forgiven, nor could we truly ever be. We're never going to be forgiven doing things this way. So... Uh, Hebrews 10, we'll pick it up in verse 1 and we'll read verses 1 to 7. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. So, to the Hebrews, the original readers, hearers of this, they're being told that the law that you've lived under is, was only ever going to be a shadow, a preview of the things to come. You continually offering sacrifices is just, you know, this will never, 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 never make you perfect in God's eyes. Never, you'll never be fully forgiven. You, doing all this stuff is never going to leave you in a place where you need nothing else. It's never going to make you perfect. And in verse 1, we read it's just a shadow. The law is just not as good as what Jesus offers. We read the law has but a shadow of the good things to come. And I want you to think, would you buy, would you spend your uh, hard-earned money or somewhat hard-earned money for some people, would you, would you buy a shadow of something? 
Would you buy a preview of something? So let's say you're coming to church and you're doing your best to be on time so you leave the house nice and early because you want to be here for when worship starts and you go and buy a coffee before church because you're a grown-up and, as a, and you think grown-ups drink coffee. So I'm going to get a coffee on my way to church and you go and order a double espresso with a little bit of hot water because you're doing it right and you want to taste coffee, not pumpkins and sugar and... You know, milk and the like. And you, you go in there, so you, you ask for, I want a double espresso and a little bit of hot water, please. And the barista says, right, and he gets out a pen and a paper, and he draws you a picture, and he says, it's going to be like this. Your coffee's going to look like this. And that's, I don't know, a dinar. Would you, would you buy that from him? You've asked for a coffee, and he's drawn you a picture of the coffee and said, it's going to be like this. Nobody would... Unless you're really into art, and this barista like moonlights as, a, as an artist, but most people are going to say, "No, that's not what I want. That's not what I need. I'm a grown-up going to church on time. I need a double espresso with a bit of hot water, not a picture." It said nobody would buy a preview of something. There was a Bible teacher in the 1600s. He died a couple of years before I was born. Uh, called John Trapp, and he said this. He said, "When the sun is behind, the shadow is before." When the sun is before, the shadow is behind. So it was in Christ to them of old. The sun was behind, and therefore the law or shadow was before. To us, under grace, the sun is before, and now the ceremonies of the law, these shadows, are behind you, vanished away. We read, don't we, the law has but a shadow of the things to come. Now, if I've remembered right, this is kind of like the sun and the moon, if I've remembered uh, high school science properly. Uh, the one is in front of us and one is behind us. If you're a, if you're a science teacher, uh, I apologize if I get this wrong. The, the sun's over here, the moon's over here. The, the moon is lit by the sun. For some people, that might be new information for you. You're welcome. Uh, but this, the moon is lit by the sun and as they come around, as they come around or we come around, as a rounding is happening, the sun is now there, front and center, and we're looking at the sun. We don't see the moon anymore. Are you with me? I'm sorry if I got the science wrong, but uh, you know what I mean. The moon is like it's showing a preview of the sun. It's this big ball of light in the sky, not quite as good as the sun, but unlike the sun and moon, the law and the Jesus thing is never going to swap back. At the end of the day. So, and the law was not bad. Let's be really clear. The law was not bad. We're not, kind of tr we're not trying to trash the law, but it was a tutor to us. It was a, a teacher for us. It was, it, was, it was there to show us that we need more. But the law can never make us perfect, we read. You will never make yourself perfect. Uh, you'll never earn your forgiveness on an eternal scale. We can never be as holy and perfect as we need to be to earn our forgiveness. There's only one person that ever lived that life or ever is, will ever be able to live that life. And then in verse 2, the logic is just flawless. Would they not have seen, this, the, the sacrifices, this old way of doing things, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? So look, if this worked, would stop. There'd be, no, there'd be no need to do it again. You'd go once, you'd present your animal, stuff to be burnt, 
and the priest would do the priestly thing, and that would be that. That would be it. There'd be no need to do it again if it was a really effective way of, of, of earning your forgiveness. But it's a yearly thing. It's a daily thing. And we see that far from enabling them to, to, to be in right standing before God, these are just reminders, these are rituals, these are reminders. It's an annual reminder. And we read you know, the blood of bulls and goats. It's impossible for this to take away your sins. If you think about this, a conscience which, has been, a conscience which needs to be cleansed once a year has never truly been cleansed, has it? Asking for forgiveness every year means that it's never truly been given. And we're never, ever, ever, ever going to be truly forgiven doing things our way, trying to earn uh, our forgiveness, trying to earn our way back into right relationship with God. And again, we read the point of this in verse 4. It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats, you know, the sacrificial system working. It's impossible for that to take away sins. The law then, this ritualistic, religious way of doing things, never make us perfect. And just, just like we want to know stuff, we want our sins taken away, don't we? I think anybody who's going to sit here and say, no, not me. I'm all right, thanks. Not this guy. I don't want my sins taken away. Then you're, you're lying. And we, we tell the truth in church. Nobody's going to sit there and say, no, I don't want my sins taken away. I'm, I'm, I'm good. We want to be made perfect. We read here about being made perfect, and it, it, it means that we're lacking nothing in order to be viewed as, as, as right and as, as good enough by uh, God. You know, we've, we've accepted the bad news about ourselves. Uh, the Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've accepted that about ourselves. That's the first step to, to hearing the good news. Good news needs to come to, to, to push away and to get rid of the bad news. So we've accepted the bad news. We are sinners and we are never going to do enough to, to, to earn our way to God. But we, we, we still we want that, though, don't we? We want our sins to be taken. We want to be perfect, as the Bible describes being perfect. But we'll never be made perfect with this old way of doing things. We'll never be made perfect trying to do it all ourselves. And again, perfect carries the meaning of you need nothing else before God says you are good enough. You're justified. That's what we're talking about. You've got no more need of provision. You need nothing else. And last week we talked about the, the blood. We talked about blood a lot last week, didn't we? Uh, with the, the blood of Jesus, what it does for us. And we said it provisions us. It gives us what we need. What we need is forgiveness. We need forgiveness of sins. And again, the law, never going to make it happen. And then we read something really interesting in verse five, six, uh, verses 5, 6, and 7. We read, Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as is written of me in the scroll of the book. So because of the fact that this was never, ever, ever going to be a long-term thing, Jesus is saying, look, uh, prophetically, speaking uh, he's looking forward, telling the, the absolute truth in Psalm 40. And Psalm 40 uh, 
prophetically anticipates some of the words of Jesus and his incarnation when he took on flesh. So Jesus is saying, look, sacrifices, offerings are just not going to do it anymore. Well, they never did do it, but we know that they don't do it. But a body I have been given, so let's use it. Let's use what I've been given to do your will, God, Father, as is written of me in the scroll of the book. And here Jesus is saying the old covenant, the old way of doing things, the man-centered searching for forgiveness, it's just, it's just not, it's not going to work. Uh, it's not going to do it. And we read, a, a body you have prepared for me have come to do your will. And again, we fold in that logic from verse 2. Uh, if the old way would have worked, there'd be no need to change things. There's that old saying of if it's not broke, you don't fix it. And if you do, you're a tinkerer and you need to put the screwdriver down and just stop messing with stuff in your house. If it's not broken, you don't fix it. This old system was broken. It was never going to be good enough anyway. And Jesus says, look, sacrifices, burnt offerings, you don't really like uh, anymore. I've taken no pleasure in it, but I've got a body, so let's use it. Let's do it. Let's do it well. For us, you, me, now, uh, we are never... This is going to sound quite negative. I'm going to say it anyway. We are never going to be brought to the point of total forgiveness by doing things our own way. You or I, you will never earn your own forgiveness. You'll never be good enough in God's eyes. It's a bit of a bummer. You will never be seen as good enough in God's eyes on your own. You'll never earn God's forgiveness. There's only one person who could ever do that, live that life. And that's the route that we've got to take We'd always need more and more and more, more forgiveness, yearly forgiveness, weekly forgiveness. So com complete, full, true, lasting forgiveness is out of reach, doing things this way. The sacrifice, the earning God's forgiveness, the, the doing stuff to be seen as good enough. We'll never be truly forgiven, forever forgiven. We'll always be searching for more. And what a, what a tense way to live. What a giant waste of your time. Always looking for something else to do to earn a bit of favor and a bit of God's forgiveness. So, we've seen that the law and the burnt offerings and sacrifices is never really going to make us perfect. And they're never going to take away sins. And as we continue, get to verses 8 through 14. And... Uh, Let's read it first. So Hebrews 10.8, when he said above, you've neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I've come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemy should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So this passage then is kind of a, a bit of a review. It's a bit of a recap. Uh, the writer, speaker to the Hebrews, kind of opens up the text that he's just said, uh, which is very useful for us. It comes with a built-in 
explanation. Verse 9 explains verses 6 and 7. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And then verse 10 explains verse 5. Uh, by that will, by his, his, Jesus' willingness to offer his body, we've been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Now, uh, I read something uh, at some point in, in time ever that uh, we, as, as believers in Jesus, we are all called to be theologians. And for, for a lot of you, that probably carries the, the image in your mind of like a big gray beard. Maybe uh, you're wearing a cloak or a robe and you've got a lot of dusty books and you like to use big words. But we're all called to understand what we believe in. So I'm going to go with me here. We're going to take a short but a very deep dive into sanctification. And it's a very interesting use of the word sanctified. It's, uh, it's used in Hebrews here like Paul uses the word justified. And if you're not too familiar with Paul's writings, Paul wrote, what, a third of the New Testament, lots of the New Testament, and uh, one of Paul's big things was justification by faith. So all you need to be viewed as good enough by God is faith in the risen Jesus. And where we read here, sanctified, it's actually justified. So the specifics of salvation are actually inseparable. It's all, it all comes together. But it's important for us to know anyway. So salvation happens instantly the moment we believe and enter into a relationship with Jesus where we are committed to him. That's simple. Being saved, people might call it. You might have heard, I was saved in, you know, 1992. I was saved. When that, that's an instant thing. That's you... Uh, that's justification, that's, that's instant. You've been brought out of living in darkness to now living in light. That's an instant thing. The moment you believe and enter into a relationship with Jesus where you are committed to him. And we read here, uh, by that will, the will of Jesus to give himself as this sacrifice, by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And uh, he says he's perfected for all time. And again, that means that we need nothing else to be viewed as good enough by God, to, to be seen as forgiven by God. So he says sanctified. When we read around it, he's really talking about being justified. And he's talking about positional justification. So when you grow your big beard and you buy your dusty books, you can talk about positional justification where God looks at you and says, Good enough. As you are right now, faith in Jesus, relationship with Jesus, good enough. We are now viewed as good enough. We are now viewed as forgiven. Are you with me? So that wasn't too bad, was it, to talk about theology when we get together? Some people are kind of scared of it. Some big words, and I don't really understand it. But it's fine. God views you as forgiven, as good enough. You are justified in his sight. Generally then, in this, uh, in this passage, we've got a truth stated and then restated because maybe some people weren't listening. And uh, the truth is that Jesus came to do away with the old system of temporary and temporal forgiveness by offering himself. And then we get this practical example because we like examples of stuff as people. And uh, the example here is that the priests... 
They are standing there busy. They work, 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 work. And Jesus sits. So read with me again verses 11, 12, and 13. Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemy should be made a footstool for his feet. So, great contrast here between working and, and finished. The, the, the priests could never sit down on the job because their sacrificial services were never completed. Uh, if you look around now to your left or your right, you'll see a bunch of people sitting down. And if you look front and center, you'll prob- hopefully, uh, unless you need your eyes check in, you'll probably hopefully see me standing. And that's a, a practical right now example. You're all standing. I'm here working. I'm standing. If you're going to kids' church, if you went into kids' church and all the kids are tearing around, running around, trashing the place, and the teacher's just quietly sat in the corner, kind of holding their knees, rocking back and forth, you would think something is wrong here. All these kids should be sat down and calm. And you, teacher, should be active and working. So what, we're, what we read here is these priests never stop. They're always working. Jesus is sitting because his job is done. We read it's uh, verse 14. It was a single offering. And through that he has justified, perfected you and me for all time, those who are being sanctified. So there we get the, 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 the more regular use of sanctified. Justified is instant and sanctified is day by day, little by little. So... Maybe you feel like that today. Maybe you feel like you're a priest, uh, always working, always trying to earn forgiveness. Maybe you're not sure. Maybe you're in that position of not knowing if you've done enough, if you're good enough. Have I done enough to earn God's favor? You feel like you're working, 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 and you're wondering, is this enough? Do I need to read one more chapter of the Bible this morning? Do I need to pray for, for one more minute? Do I need to do one more good deed? Do I need to do something nice for somebody and then I'll be seen as good enough? And if that's, if that's you, that has got to stop. Because that is legalism. That's doing stuff to earn. You've got to do some stuff to be viewed as good enough. And that, friends, that will never, ever end that that will be a treadmill that you are on for life, trying to do more and read more and pray more and be more, and you don't need to do any of that stuff. That's religious thinking. That's not relationship enjoying. So, very, very simply, the old way of doing things, our old way of relating to God uh, via having this idea of who God is, and we're trying to work our way to him trying to justify ourselves, trying to earn our forgiveness, that will never, that will never make us good enough and will always leave us not knowing. You'll never know deep down. You'll never know if you are forgiven. And we want to know stuff, don't we? We want to know stuff, trivial things like what's the next slide look like? But we want to know, the, and we need to know these big things as well about are we forgiven? And that's such a tense, 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 tense place to, love, to, to, to live. Have I done enough? Am I good enough? And God's got more for you than that. You're not made in his image to live in this tense, in-between 
no man's land. God's got more for you than that. And then in comes the Holy Spirit to do what he does best, to testify to the truth. And this is the passage that we read. And we'll read again, verses 15 to 18. Verse 15 says, And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws onto their hearts and write them on their minds. And would you read verses 17 and 18 with me? Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. This, this is where we are focusing today. This is what we want to leave with today. This is the life-changing, perspective-altering piece of this text. The Holy Spirit comes along to testify to eternity, to tell the truth about foreverness. We're leaving behind the former things, the, the nevers, never going to be forgiven, never, gonna, never, never, never. And we're going to focus, we're going to fix our eyes on the from now until forever. We're going to focus on the forevers. This is what we want to take. This is what we want to understand. This is what we want to internalize. This is what we need to learn head first through the heart and out through the hands. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones talks about this process of, uh, of, of, of growth, of Christian growth, of spiritual growth. And uh, we, we don't seek to influence the heart straight away. We're not here to stir each other up to this massive emotional response where we're like, yeah, amen, woo. You know, sometimes that happens and there's, there's no problem with that. If you're whooping it up inside, then good. Maybe you got some good coffee this morning. Uh, but we don't go for the heart straight away. Uh, being made in God's image, one of the, the, the biggest privileges of that is having a mind that understands and that can dissect things and really think about things. So the main goal is not to whip, whip us all up into some emotional frenzy. We don't shoot for the heart. We don't even shoot for the hands. You've got to do some stuff. I'm going to read you a bit of text and I'm going to tell you what you do do, 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 do. Go out and do some stuff. Because if we're doing some stuff but we don't understand why, the stuff's not going to last for long, is it? And there's no connection with the, the, the people that we're doing stuff with and for because we've missed the heart. And we don't understand why we're doing it because we've missed the head. So first we seek to understand with the mind, which then softens the heart and readies the hands. Are you with me? Wow. Good. Well... I'm going to proceed as if you are. Uh, so first, though, notice with me, verses 15 and 16, the deity of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is not some secondary, okay, uh, we've, we've got Jesus down as God. We're comfortable with that. He is now gone, and he's sent, you know, he's like, is number two. Uh, notice with me, Verse 15, the Holy Spirit bears witness. So the writer of the Hebrews is giving these words from Jeremiah to the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit says, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. The Lord, the Greek, the Hebrew word is God, the divine being. So we've got here the Holy Spirit says, and in that quote, declares the Lord. 
The Holy Spirit is God, the Lord, God. In this passage in Hebrews, we've got all three seamlessly working together. We've got the will of God in verse 9. We've got the work of Christ in verse 12. We've got the witness of the Spirit. So that's just great stuff for us to see when we read God's Word. This testimony then given by the Holy Spirit shows us that forever forgiveness, being permanently forgiven as this new covenant promised means there's no need for the do anymore. There's no need for the sacrifices for sins. Look again at verses 17 and 18. I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. So this, understand this. This is the crux of this part of Hebrews you are forever forgiven. Amen? You are forever forgiven. And just think about this. Think about it. God cannot forget some stuff. God doesn't forget what time church starts and rolls in late for worship. God doesn't forget to talk to Bradley afterwards. God doesn't forget stuff like we forget stuff. We believe that he is omniscient. He knows all there is to know, past, present, future, because he's outside of time. He knows all there is to know. So where we read, I will remember their sins and lawless deeds no more, this is even greater because he is choosing not to think about them. He can't forget them like you've forgotten to sign up for kids' church. He can't forget some stuff. He's not going to slip his mind and remember here, again, it carries the meaning of actively thinking about stuff. So he is choosing not to remember, not to think about the wrong that you have done. And that's even greater than somebody just forgetting, isn't it? But something happened. Something happened to allow this choice to take place. And we've read about the body, we've read about the sacrifice, we've read about the will, we've read about the new covenant, the blood, the death, the sacrifice again. And it's all, it all takes us to Jesus, doesn't it? Something happened to allow God to choose to not think about the wrong that you have done. Again, look again at 17 and 18. I will remember their sins and lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. So in verse 18, these, where there's forgiveness of these, we look back a verse, what, 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 what are these? There is verse 17 at the top. Sins and lawless deeds. Things that you did before. Things that you do now. And things that you will do in the future. Things that you do knowingly, on purpose. Things you do unknowingly. Remember uh, last week we talked about the Day of Atonement. And that was there to cover unknown sins. And we said that... The sacrifice of Jesus was so sufficient and complete that it covers all the stuff that we know we've done and all the stuff that we just don't know we've done. So these, these words of, um, of assurance and forgiveness, they, they bring to an end this section of Hebrews where we're learning some stuff. 
we're accepting some stuff in the mind. This new covenant makes the old covenant pointless now, useless now. When our sins are covered, we don't need to give offerings for sins, do we? It's, it, it's, it's a wonderful truth. It's a, a great truth to internalize. It's a wonderful truth to, to have in your heart. But it makes perfect sense as well. If this stuff would have worked, there would have been no need to change it. This, all, this entire system, sacrifices, is now unnecessary. And for you and for me, not knowing if we are forgiven is now completely unnecessary. The single offering that Jesus made brings all of this stuff to a close. And we're in this new time now of being able to know conclusively that we are forgiven. And I read this week that anyone who wants forgiveness of sin can find it by placing a repentant faith in the completed work of Christ. How good is that? Anyone who wants forgiveness can find it by placing a repentant faith in the completed work of Christ. That sacrifice, that completed work was God's final word, God's final answer to our problem of sin. There's God, there's no need anymore to speak a word beyond Jesus for forgiveness, for salvation, for justification, for sanctification, for the future glorification. Because we know, don't we, that Jesus is the word of God. So, in the beginning we said we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna see, am I forgiven? And please leave with this, yes, know, truly know and understand in your mind, yes, you are forgiven. This new covenant, the new way of us relating to God, we've talked about it a lot in the Minor Prophets. It's a deeper remedy. It's, a, it's an inward change. We're, we're a new creation. It's a deeper remedy than, than the blood of bulls and goats and whatever else. And it cleanses our conscience. We're, in, we're a new creation. It's a new birth. We talk about being born again. You're a new person, new desires. And this is, this is real and true and lasting forgiveness. Jesus offers complete forgiveness. And you are forever forgiven. It's so complete that God says he will never ever think about, again, the wrong that you have done and do. And, and will do. And when it, God says something, when God says something, it happens, does it not? When God says, I'm going to do this, I will do this, I won't do that, it's, it's done. For us then, we've got to do with sin exactly what God has done with our sin. Forget about it. We need to recognize, I'm going to get all like ghetto and gospel, you've got to recognize you need to admit you're a sinner. You've got to accept the bad news about yourself first to, before the good news comes shining in. You've got to recognize that we've sinned. You've got to realize that alone, even if we combined our efforts, you've got to realize that we're never going to cancel out that record. You've got to repent. You've got to turn away from it. You've got to make some changes. And then we've got to receive. You've got to accept the forgiveness that is on offer. You've got to acknowledge our sin as God did in sending Christ, but then have it dealt with and then leave it unthought of. So, 
How, how am I forgiven? Not with this old system, not with your own way of, of earning forgiveness, the old way of relating to God, where we are constantly reminded that we are sinners. Who, who in the right mind would, would want to live a life where you are constantly reminded you are a sinner? You are not good enough. But by this process of needing to continually bring offerings and continually be reminded, that's happening, isn't it? Every week, every year, you need to bring some stuff because I'm a sinner. And it's that thing, if you tell somebody enough times that you are this, they're going to be that. They're going to become that. So we need to acknowledge that we are sinners. That's a good thing, but we're not going to dwell there. Uh, Jesus said, as we often read when we take communion, he said, uh, do this in remembrance of me. He didn't say, when you do this, remember just how bad you are. Remember how much of a sinner you are. Never forget that. Next time you take communion, he didn't say that. But under the old covenant, that's what we're reminding ourselves of, by the constant need for sacrifices, for sins. He says, do this in remembrance of me. So that means, yes, we acknowledge that we are sinners, we've sinned, but we are forgiven sinners. Massive difference. Remember what he did. Do this in remembrance of me. So when we take communion, there is no reminder of sin through sacrifice. There is a celebration of salvation. Amen? Let me say that again. When we take communion, there's no reminder of sin through sacrifice. We're not doing that anymore. But it's a celebration of our salvation. So whatever guilt, whatever shame, whatever burdens that you've brought with you this morning, what, through whatever personal failures and shortcomings that you've got, that, that we've all got, Jesus has taken that away from you. They were nailed to the cross for those who have a repentant faith in him. What a great truth for us to leave with. Whatever shame, whatever burdens, whatever guilt we've To be, to be good enough in his eyes. Where do we stand then? Where do we stand? Well, again, please leave and know this. Your old way of doing things will never make you perfect. You can never earn your eternal forgiveness. But the new covenant in Jesus means that you are forever forgiven. So what do we, what do, we do with it then? What do we do as we go back out? Well, we realize we actually understand and accept we are forever forgiven and we receive that forgiveness. Take it in, feel it, and then do something with it. The head, the heart, and the hands. So very, 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 very simply, please leave today knowing that you are forgiven in Jesus. Amen? Amen. So we're going to spend some time in prayer and... Um, and as we do the worship team, I'll invite the worship team forward. And I just want us to, to think about what guilt, what shame, what burdens, what are, what are we carrying that we just don't need to anymore? What are we still carrying with us that we are forgiven from? Like Henny said earlier, who do we need to go and offer forgiveness to? So we'll spend a moment also in, uh, in personal prayer. And then we'll pray together. I'm going to ask that you join me in raising a holy hand in prayer.